0: Please turn in your Bibles back to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, and I'll read the first seven verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, the humble shall hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. In this psalm, David celebrates one of the most memorable, the greatest deliverances of his life. And he looks back upon that occasion and he recalls the things that he learned and he calls upon others to learn from him as well that the only way to live a happy life is to live a holy life in the fear and service of God. And the occasion of this psalm is found at the title of the psalm, which reads, A psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. Abimelech was the title of the kings of the Philistines. It had been that title of the kings of the Philistines since the time of Abraham, and we read of Abimelech all the way back in the book of Genesis. Just like Pharaoh was the title for the kings of Egypt, so Abimelech was the title of the kings of the Philistines. The event that is referred to here is found in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 21, and the personal name of the king, of the Philistines there. His name was Achish. And it was when David feigned madness before Achish that King Achish drove him away and David escaped. And David looked back and he knew that that was a great deliverance. And it was a deliverance that only the Lord could have accomplished for him. And so in this psalm, he looks back and he celebrates that occasion. And As we begin in the next several weeks, Lord willing, to look at this psalm, we should begin by looking at some of the events in David's life that formed the background upon which he wrote this psalm. This morning we'll divide our thoughts into three sections. First, David's faith strengthened, second, David's faith tested and failing, and third, David's Faith revived. So in the first place this morning, we'll look at David's faith strengthened. I mean David's faith was strengthened by the promises and by the power of God that was with him. We find this in the book of First Samuel, chapter 16. We'll turn back there to the book of 1 Samuel and chapter 16. And we read here in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Saul was the king of Israel at this time, but in the previous chapter Saul had refused to obey the Lord, and so now the Lord has rejected Saul from being king. And here he sent his prophet Samuel to the home of Jesse to anoint David, Jesse's son, as the future king. And when Samuel arrived in Jesse's house, he made all of the other brothers pass before him, but none of them was the one that the Lord had chosen. And it was not until they went out and they found David tending to the flock of sheep in the field and brought David in that they found David to be the one whom the Lord had chosen to be the future king. And Samuel anoints him to be the future king. We read of this in verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon david from that time forward and samuel arose and went to ramah now david and his family they were unknown in israel at this time and this was the very first time in the book of first samuel that david's name was even mentioned here in verse 13 and god's anointing of david by samuel was god's promise to david that he would be the future king of Israel. But like so many of God's promises, the promise was for the future, and by faith David would have to wait until the time of its fulfillment at the death of Saul. But David's faith here was greatly strengthened because the promise was so certain to him. It came by God's prophet Samuel, who could only speak the truth. And Samuel was sent to find David and to anoint him future king. God had passed over all of his other brothers and chosen David to be his elect king in the future. And the Lord himself confirmed the promise as the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that time forward. David had every reason, no reason to doubt, every reason to believe that he would be future king of Israel. The spirit of the Lord was mightily upon him, but the spirit was taken from Saul, as we read in verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. And now with David's faith greatly strengthened by This anointing and promise of God in the next chapter, in chapter 17, we have that famous battle between David and Goliath. When the giant Goliath came out for the Philistines and the whole army of Israel trembled in fear except for David because David came in faith. David came in confidence in the Lord, in the name of the Lord. And we read in chapter 17, if we turn down to verse 44, chapter 17 and verse 44. We see how Goliath, what he said to David when he came in verse 44, the Philistine also said to David, Come out, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistines, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This was Goliath's trust. His trust was in his sword. David said to him, You have come to me with a sword. His confidence was in his sword, but David's confidence was in the name of the Lord of hosts, in the God of Israel, who was with him. And then David goes on in verse 46 and following. David says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give, you, I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it With the Philistines, when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. So David had no sword in his hand on this occasion because, as he says in verse 47, he knew that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. He came with just a stone and a sling, and he killed the great giant of the Philistines, and he routed their armies and sent them off in fear. And he was able to do so because of his confidence and his trust in the Lord. And his faith here was greatly strengthened. David was a man of pure heart. A man whose heart was wholly devoted to the Lord. And the spirit of the Lord was mightily upon him. And the power of the Lord was with him. And David seemed to be a man who could do all things through Christ who was strengthening him. On this occasion now, David was at the pinnacle of his spiritual experience. He was riding high on the promise of God to him to be future king. And with this great victory over the Philistines, David seemed invincible. And by the power of God with him, He appeared to be a man who could conquer all of his enemies. But all of this will change as we come now to our second point this morning, which is David's faith tested and failing. His faith tested and failing after his great victory over Goliath and the Philistines. David's fame spread throughout the land of Israel. We read in chapter 18, verses 6 and seven. And it happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And so they sing this song, and we see David's, or Saul's, rather, response to it in verses 8 and 9. Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And David looked, or Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. So... Saul here, he became jealous and very angry with David because of the song that was being sung in the city streets which exalted David over Saul. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands and Saul with this evil spirit now in him began to turn in anger against David. And then when David was in his house, in Saul's house, Saul came to violence trying to pin him to the wall in verse 11. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. David was still a mighty warrior of Israel. We see him on another occasion, one of his victories over the Philistines, down in verses 27 and following, verse 27, David rose up and went, and he and his men and struck down 200 men among the Philistines. Then David brought their foreskins and gave them in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. So Saul gave him, Michael, his daughter for a wife. And Saul saw, when Saul saw knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. And so now from this time forward, Saul is determined he must put David to death. He is in continual pursuit now of David's life. In chapter 19 and verse 8, we see another victory of David over the Philistines. Verse 8. When there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them with great slaughter so that they fled before him. Once again, a victory over the Philistines. Then Saul tried to kill David again down in verse 10 and 11. Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he struck—he stuck the spear into the wall And David fled and escaped that night. Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. And then the next chapter, chapter 20, Saul told Jonathan, his son, concerning David, he said, Send and bring him to me for he must surely die. And so Saul was continually in pursuit of David's life throughout this entire period of time. And it seems that this pursuit of David lasted between five and ten years. And during that entire time, David had to flee for his life from one place to another, from Jerusalem to Naoth in Ramah, out into the countryside and then to Nob. And David was constantly moving and living in this fear of Saul pursuing him. And then in chapter 21 of First Samuel, David now comes to the decision that it is too dangerous for him to remain in his own land. He must flee from Israel and he will go to the land of the Philistines for safety. And first on his way there, In the beginning of chapter 21, he comes to this city of Nob where the tabernacle was and the priests. And he asked the priest, uh, Ahimelech, if he ate the consecrated bread. And then he asked the priest, Ahimelech, if he had a spear or a sword for him. And we read in chapter 21 and verses 8 and 9. And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, now is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my spear nor my weapons with me because the king's matter was urgent. Now, there was not really any king's matter that David was on on this occasion. An indication of things not right already with David. Then the priest said, verse 9, Then the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. Behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there is no other except it here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. There was no other sword there except the sword of Goliath. David knew that sword because it was the sword that he had used to cut off the giant's head earlier. And David desired it, and so he took it, and he said, There is none like it. He said, Give it to me. And so now with the sword of Goliath in his hand, what David does is he departs from the land of Israel. He goes down into the land of the Philistines to the city of Gath, into the land of the Philistines with the sword of the Philistine giant Goliath in his hand, which he had used to kill him. This is what we now read of in verses 10 and 11. Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath, the Philistines' king. And the, But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of, it, of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? So in verse 10, we are told that David arose from Israel. Out of fear of Saul, he left his own land And David thought here on this occasion that the land of Israel in which God had promised him and anointed him by the prophet Samuel that he would be the future king of Israel, that that land of Israel now was no longer safe for him to remain in because of the pursuit of Saul. And David decided that his only real option for safety was to leave his own native land and to go into the land of the enemy the Philistines, and not only that, but to go there with the sword of Goliath in his hand and hopefully in some way he would find refuge with Achish as a kind of political prisoner, the king of the Philistines there in Gath. So what we see here is already David is not in his right mind. His faith here was under a severe testing His actions show that his faith was greatly weakened. His confidence and his trust in the Lord was faltering. And it was giving way. And David here had entered into a spiritually dark and distressing time in his life. And we can say that David was, in some ways, even badly backslidden, He was a true believer, but by the constant pursuit of Saul year after year and by the pressures of his life, his faith and trust in God had now come to this low point, and he was not conducting himself as he should have. He was not making the right decisions. His confidence from the end of verse 9 seemed to be, In Goliath's sword, he said, there is none like it. Give it to me. You remember back when he killed Goliath. He said, the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, but now he desires Goliath's sword. Goliath said to him, he said to Goliath, rather, you come to me with a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of hosts. His confidence then was only in the Lord. And with a sling and a stone, he killed Goliath. But now it seems his confidence was in the very sword of Goliath, a sword which had proven so powerless against a man who came at him with, came at Goliath in the name of the Lord. He was taking Goliath's sword down into the land of the Philistines, what good would it do him there? Would it endear any friendship to him among the Philistines when they saw the sword of their giant whom he had slain? We should ask the question, what, did, what business did David even have down in the land of the Philistines? The mortal enemies of Israel, did he really think that he could find any safety There? however dangerous it was for David in the land of Israel. He should have remained in that land and he should have continued to put his confidence not in the sword of Goliath or in an escape to the Philistines, but in the God of Israel. And he should have pleaded for his protection and his safety for the fulfillment of the promise to be future king of Israel, which he had given him? Could not the God of Israel keep David safe in the land where he had promised to make him king? Where did this idea come from that he would find more safety in the land of the enemies. If David's faith was anything of what it should have been at this time, he should have reasoned to himself that if God has promised to make me king of Israel, he is able to preserve my life in the land of Israel to fulfill his promise. He has power to do so for sure. he who enabled him to kill thousands of the Philistines and to put to death Goliath, that same God would still be able to help him and preserve his life in the land of Israel. But apparently David's mind was not thinking properly and he was not remembering the great works of God toward him and the power of the Lord that was upon him. And his faith began to falter and grow weak. So we see what has happened here to David. His faith is severely tested under these trials. Saul continually tracking him down to put him to death. And the promise of God that he would be king is his. But what has happened to David here is that the promise of God seems now to be contradicted by the providences of God against it the promises and the providences of god seemed to be in conflict with one another because saul was still king and saul had his army chasing after david and he was lasting for years and there was this constant pressure and weight of this trial and there seemed to be no relief his faith was being tested and his faith had grown dim And his confidence in the Lord had waned. And now what David has done is he has taken matters into his own hands and gone down to the land of the Philistines for safety. This is what happens sometimes with God's people when the promises of God seem to be in conflict with the providences of God. And long periods of time pass, and the promises do not be do not seem to be fulfilled. It happened with Abraham and Sarah; they were promised a son, and many years passed, and year after year, the promise was not fulfilled. And then they came to the point where Sarah Sarah took matters into her own hands, and she said, "If if there is going to be the fulfillment of the promise, then we must." go our own way, and she gave Hagar to Abraham that perhaps the promise would be fulfilled through her. God did not need Hagar for the fulfillment of the promise, and God did not need David to go down to the land of the Philistines for his safety and the fulfillment of his promise to him either. The same things happen to us. There are times in our lives when there are testings of our faith and God is putting us into trials for testing. This is what James speaks of in chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And Peter writes to suffering Christians in First Peter chapter one and verse five, he says, you are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice if though even now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In such times as testing, testing by fire like this, when the promises and the providences of God seem contrary to one another, What happens to us is we begin to lose heart and doubts seem to arise. We take our eyes off the great God and his promises in his word. And that's what happened to David on this occasion. He began to wonder, how could the promises of God to me be true? He has promised to me to be king, but here I am running constantly from place to place in my own land with Saul and his army continually pursuing me. My life is hanging in the balance. How can this promise of God be true to me? And here we are today. We are the children of God, the Bible says. We are those who are under the love of God from all eternity love that is so great he sent his beloved son to the death of a cross for us and we have these great promises of the grace and the power of God for our preservation, for our safety, there is an eternal inheritance that is promised to us in the world to come and yet Believers in this world can suffer so many great things, terrible things in this present life. And we begin to wonder how can we pass through so many trials and tribulations on our way to the eternal kingdom? We have the promises, these great promises of God, but at least in this life, his promises seem contradicted by his providences and our faith is greatly tested. The pressures of life, the troubles of all the things around us weigh heavy down upon our hearts and at times we begin to lose heart and our faith grows weak and we lose our confidence in the promises and the power of God over us. On this occasion, David's faith was now failing him. And when we lose faith, then it only leads to greater problems. And that's what we see next. When David came to Achish, king of Gath, king of the Philistines, his servants recognized him in verse 11. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land, the land of Israel? They mean future king, the one who will be future king? Did they, Did they not sing of this one? As they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. They knew who David was. He was not already king, but he was promised to be king in the future. What a shame this must have been to the land of Israel, to the God of Israel, that his future king is now found taking refuge in the land of the enemies. And the servants of Achish, they say, is he he not the one that they sang when they danced in the streets? Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David's fame had reached into the land of the Philistines. And they knew the song, the very song that they sang in the streets. And when they sang of the ten thousands that David had slain, they were speaking of their own people, the Philistines. David thought that he would find cover in Gath. No one would know who he was. But now he's been discovered. The great warrior of Israel is before the king of the Philistines who has slain so many of his men, the servants of Gash, Of Achish here, what they are saying to the king is king. This is our enemy who has slain so many thousands of us. He is right here before your throne. He is in our hands now. Should we not take the sword and put him to death? And then we read in verse 12, And David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So David heard the words of these men They wanted to put him to death immediately. They were urging the king to do so. Little did David know that when his faith began to weaken, and he began to head off into the land of the Philistines, that this is the place where he would find himself at, in this place of mortal danger for his life. He was found out. They knew who he was. And here he is before Achish, And all Achish needed to do was give the command and it would have been the end of David's life and he would have been put to death by Achish's servants. If he still had Goliath's sword with him, as it seems we can assume he did, what good would Goliath's sword do for him now except to be the sword that cut off his own head? like he had used it for Goliath, and David took these words to heart and he greatly feared Achish, the king of Gath. A man who seemed to have no fear at one time now has great fear of this king. In this most desperate situation now, David comes up with a plan in verse 13. So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands, and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. He disguised his sanity. He pretended to be an insane person, a man who was out of his mind before Akish and his servants. We may picture him there. He is laying on the ground. He is unable to speak any words that make any sense just unintelligible gibberish coming from his mouth. No one knows what it means. And he scribbles some strange things on the door of the gate, and he foams at the mouth with the saliva running down into his beard. The Greek translation of the Old Testament uses a word here that says he was acting like an epileptic. He was convulsing, and his entire body was shaking, as if he had no control over himself. But none of it was real. It was all a pretense. It was all a show and a deception. We cannot approve of what David did because it was a misrepresentation and it was inconsistent with the truth. David had gotten himself into this situation and now he had no resort but this most disgraceful means of saving, hopefully saving his life. Who could ever have imagined a scene like this? David, the anointed, the future king, of Israel, lying at the door of the enemy king, acting like a madman, scribbling on the wall, and foaming at the mouth. If anyone were to have seen David when he fought Goliath, when he had such confidence in the Lord and he came out to Goliath and said to him, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and remove your head. If anyone has seen David on that occasion, and then they saw him here, lying at the gate of the Philistines as a helpless madman, they would have said they cannot possibly be the same men. What has happened? What has happened to the great warrior of Israel? From the heights of triumph now to a trembling, cowardly, empty shell of a man. How could this possibly be? The man once filled with such zeal and courage to cut off the head of Goliath, now he lies in this most pitiful condition before the gate of the enemies of Israel. His faith has been tested, is the answer. And sad to say, His faith has failed him. And it has brought him into this most desperate situation. David was a good and righteous man. He was a true believer. A man after God's own heart. But his strong faith was put into the fiery furnace. And at least at this point, it had not held him up. The life of faith in the promises of God is the only life, the best life to live in this world. But in another sense, it is always, it is also the hardest possible life to live, especially when the promises of God seem to contradict his promises. And we are all men and women like David. We cannot think that we are above him. He is an example to us. And we should not be surprised if our faith is tested in the furnace of life in this fallen world. And we find ourselves in dark, despairing and depressing times like him. You remember Peter. Peter boasted with such confidence that he would never deny the Lord. But then when Satan came and sifted him like wheat, Peter denied the Lord three times. And what grief came to Peter as he wept bitterly over his sin. And then we have Elijah, that great prophet of God, who so boldly stood against Ahab and Jezebel and all the prophets of Baal. And he cried out, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And he called fire down from heaven to consume his sacrifice. But then a short time later, what do we find? We find Elijah in a total depression, hiding under a juniper tree and asking if the Lord might put him to death. Peter and Elijah are like David at the gate of the Philistines, men whose faith has for a time failed. Men who seem to have no strength. The same thing can happen to us. Heavy trials upon us. And they press down upon us for long periods of time. Our faith is weakened until we come to the point where we feel we have nothing left in us and we begin to feel that we will break. Or perhaps some sudden temptation overpowers us and we see the great remaining sin within us in a way that we have never known before. We thought we were strong. We thought we were strong, but we find out who we really are. We are weak and dependent creatures on the living God. It seems the Lord desires to teach his people by their own experience. What Jesus said, that apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's what David was learning on this occasion. Apart from Jesus and his power and continual grace, he could do nothing. If we lay the blame on David and say that it was all because of his own wrong decisions... then is it not true that we as believers, we go astray from the will of God as well? We pursue our own ways. We do what we desire. We do what we think is best. And then we find ourselves in difficulties. And then we find ourselves in troubles that are of our own making. And we pay the consequences of it because we have gone in the way of carnal wisdom in the ways of the world. And there is no one else to blame but ourselves. So the question now is, as David lays at the gate of the Philistines, pretending to be a madman in this most pitiful condition, the question is, what will the Lord do with him now? Here is David so tangled up in this mass of unbelief and sin. Will the Lord now abandon him and forsake him? We know the rest of the story of David's life from the Bible. But if we didn't know it, and we had only followed David to this point in his life, And after all that God had done for him, and here he is, we might think that this is the end of David in his relationship with God. His faith is finished. It is all over for him now. There can be no hope of recovery for him How can there ever be a way back into fellowship with God for him? To be the man, to be the kind of man that he ought to be. Or we could put it this way. Now that David lies in this condition at the gate of the Philistines, will the Lord forsake his promise to David to make him king of Israel? He has sunk into this unbelief, and it seems so bad. Will the Lord abandon him and leave him to perish in this place of weakness? We could ask the same thing of ourselves when we fall and stumble into unbelief and to some place where we ought not to be. The Lord has made promises to us, too as his people, to be kings. He has made promises to us to be kings in the future. Kings that are far more glorious than David ever had upon the throne of Israel. King, to be kings and priests to God in heaven upon the throne of our Lord Jesus forever and ever. And when we find ourselves in a low place, will the Lord abandon us Will he give up his promises to us and leave us? The answer is no. The Lord will never forsake his people, and the Lord will never abandon his promises to them. He is the God of deliverances, and he is the God who has power and love to rescue his people from the worst of trials and even from dark places like David was on this occasion. He will come and help his people. And that's what takes place now. We come to our third point this morning, which is David's faith now revived. David's faith revived. There are two ways in which God miraculously delivers David. The first is, and both ways are his work in the hearts of men. The first is his work in the heart of Achish. And we read that in verses 14, 15. Then Achish said to his servants, He said, Behold, we would have expected, Behold, put him to death. But he says, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen? that you have brought this one to act a madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? So Achish realized that David was more a man to be pitied than a threat to his kingdom. And Achish, he had enough madmen in his kingdom already. He needed no more. And so he drove David away and David escaped from Gath. And David later realized that while his feigning a madman was the human means, and we could say the wrong means, of his deliverance. Yet the ultimate and real cause of his rescue was the supernatural work of God in the heart of Akish, And by a secret influence upon Akish's heart, he was restrained from his rage And David found favor in his sight so that he was not put to death. Why did Achish not follow the advice of all of his servants and immediately order his death? Because the king of kings was ruling over the heart of King Achish from heaven and he turned his heart to have pity upon him and send him away. What Solomon said proved to be true for David, on this occasion, in this miraculous deliverance that the heart, the king's heart is in, is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he wishes. The second miracle of David's deliverance was his own revival of faith. And that's what seems to have happened here on this occasion. He had come now, as he seems As he lies at the gate, he seems now to come to his senses because Psalm 56 we saw earlier in our reading was written upon this occasion. David here had hit rock bottom and he began to realize there was only one place for him to go, only one hope was in the Lord. And Psalm 56 written on this occasion when the Philistines had seized him in Gath, it was like a sudden lightning flash upon David's soul and he looked up to God Again in faith, and he cried, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in Thee, in God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. So there is this turning now of David's heart back to the Lord. And we read in chapter 22 and verse 1 So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And it was while he was in the cave of Adullam that David came to his senses and his faith was recovered. And Psalm 34 was written at that time as a remembrance of God's great and merciful deliverance of him. It was not just that David's life was preserved, it was that, more importantly, his faith was revived, and the strength of his soul was recovered now to continue to follow the Lord. Faith is our activity, faith is what we do, we believe. But faith is the gift of God as well. And we have no strength in ourselves to maintain our faith. The God who gives faith is the one who must sustain our faith to the end. And that's what David learned on this occasion. Peter says we are protected by the power of God through faith. But even our faith needs to be maintained by the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus in us. So the question is, will God abandon his servant David? Will he give up on him? No, he will revive him. He will strengthen his soul again. And that's what he's always done with Abraham with Peter, with Elijah, with David. The God who gives faith strengthens faith and enables us to stand by faith. And that's what David learned on this experience. What he said so often in the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, revive me according to thy word. That's what happened to David on this occasion. So we can turn back very briefly to Psalm 34. And we've seen the background of the psalm. David now looks back, he celebrates it. In verse 1, he says, The Lord, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The Lord had dealt so mercifully and kindly with him in his great distress. He could not boast in himself, but he says in verse 2, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear it and rejoice. And, and David regarded his experience as something not, something that was not unique to him, but his experience was to be the experience of all the people of God. So in verse 3, he calls upon all believers to magnify the Lord with him. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let us pray together. Father and gracious God, Thank you for your mercy, your strength, and help to your servant, David. In the worst of times, you came and gave him all that he needed. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a faithful Savior, to always help your people in every time of trouble and need. We ask that you would hear us now, bless your word to us, and encourage our hearts in the truth.